So in that context, how would you view, I mean, our foreign policy and if you were to give some examples right. of how that Mandela system would work, right. so if you can expand on that. Sure. Uh, this brings me to the next subject. I mean, what I've just covered is one small component of the Atashastra. Atashastra is about 6,000, 7,000 verses. So foreign policy is a big component. The six-fold policy which I spoke about is something that where uh, Kautilya basically categorizes on the set of neighbors that you have, like you mentioned, you know, it can be enemy, enemy, uh, it can be enemy slash, you know, friend or a neutral neighbor. So, yeah, he had wanted uh, to characterize these countries who are near you and then articulate a foreign policy based on that. So, there's a lot of, you know, depth which is available on that. Uh, but what I feel is that um, where I think it applies to us is how do you deal with, say, a, a hostile neighborhood like ours? And what are some of the strategies that you can use? So he mentions about, you know, uh, he goes from, you know, how to use, say, aggression as a tool, peace as a tool. Uh, he even talks about how um, uh, you can use different, um, uh, say, diplomatic initiatives uh, to go and uh, articulate with these countries. So uh, I can probably get back to you on the details. But you're right, the, the Mandala philosophy, the Raj Mandala basically, uh, it covers a lot of the foreign policy space that you're talking about. Uh, I'm not sure how uh, contextual it is today's times, but from whatever I've read, it, it, it mentions quite a bit and it seems relevant to what we are doing today. You said about definition of dharma. Dharma has been very clearly defined in Smriti. I was just searching in my mobile phone. I couldn't locate it. But uh, it's very clearly defined. And there's absolutely no ambiguity about it. Secondly, pricing and taxation has also been very clearly defined in Manusmriti. So do you find any conflict uh, with the Kautilya Shastra? No. What, what happens is uh, there are, again, multiple theories here. I'll try to tell you the theories. And then probably you can take a call. One theory is uh, the Arthashastra is far ahead of its time, as in uh, it's far before Kautilya's time. It's just that Kautilya discovered it uh, as a text. So that is one theory. Another theory is Kautilya sat and then compiled a list of sources from the Manaspriti, the Dharma Shastra, the Niti Shastra, and then combined it together and articulated it as the Arthashastra. Uh, but if you're really asking Definitely, there are references there, and there are also some conflicts. Uh, I can probably go back and 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 tell you what the conflicts are. But there are some areas where uh, the Atashastra, in terms of say values, uh, in terms of accurate values, mm -hmm. it it differs from also correct, different. correct. It differs, mm -hmm. and compared to the Manuspriti, I mean, uh, I think the Atashastra is very well focused on governance. I mean, from a political angle, so he. He does not get into religion at all, uh, more or less. So, in modern economics, we primarily uh, classify the government economics into two parts, right? Fiscal and monetary. So, whatever you have told until now, that's uh, primarily about the fiscal part, right? So, uh, do you find any evidence of uh, this kind of, uh, you know, evolution of the uh, economics in terms of monetary policy related to Arthasastra or even some other sources related to uh, Arthasastra or even any any other field in the Indian uh, tradition. Right. In fact, that's what I'm researching now. Mm -hmm. Because uh, obviously, most of it is in the fiscal side. But 
there are some references, for example, the, 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 the trade uh, in charge that I mentioned. So he basically mentions that the, 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 the superintendent of trade fixes prices. Like how do you fix a price? You need to have some amount of data on demand and supply. And then you probably need to have a team, three, four people sitting and assessing, giving you some inputs. Uh, so I'm still, I mean, exploring and seeing if there is any text which gives some layer to it. Uh, because the mo So what happens is in these type of text, you, you have an open-ended base like this, okay, like a concept. And then you think about that concept. For you to derive this, he must have done something else is what your next line of thinking goes. And then you dig further and see whether somewhere in the text there is mention of this. So that's how you kind of progress. But you're right, I, we are still, I'm still looking for references, but there are books which, uh, which, which, for example, even say the demand and supply and things like that, there are some books which, uh, which extrapolate his thoughts and have said, you know, that uh, yeah, he, is, uh, he has not mentioned it as a framework, but the way he's executed things seems to reflect that framework. Uh, but yeah, I haven't seen like hardcore evidence on, on that yet. Uh, yeah, I hope to. The quantity of gold, right. right, in the coins. So if the gold content has increased or right. decreased over the time, okay, or based on the you know prevailing political and uh, uh, you know, foreign policy situation at that time, so that kind of evidences I think would be correct. Some, some well, even even the idea of the flexible minimum wage, right, which I spoke about. How do you get that? You need to get that based on, say, some index, you know, say the prices have increased, uh, so the minimum wage also has to increase. Uh, so some measurement might have been there to reference, to make this reference. Uh, so, yeah, that's something, it's still, yeah, if I get to know, I'll obviously include. I have a question. Did uh, Cordelia also envisage uh, penalties in case of tax defaulters and yeah. uh, were there uh, yeah. any kind of a, a judicial setup where... You know, uh, if in case of excessive tax, a person could get it redressed. Right. Did he have that? Yeah, yeah, there was penalties. It's called a dandana, a dandan, which I have not included here. Uh, yeah, it was there. Uh, there is a detailed uh, thing on how, uh, in fact, among, uh, uh, he even mentions in some castes, uh, uh, I think the Brahmins would, in fact, the Brahmins, I think, would have a higher fine uh, if they, as compared to others. Because they're expected. Even the Arthashastra, he mentions more that. Uh, but yeah, he does have the uh, okay. thing which is available. I mean, on penalties and what, if you do not follow the regulations, what are the things that you need to do? So, when you read these things in summary form, as uh, Kautli has written, how do you know whether it is merely being prescriptive or is it actually descriptive? I mean, aren't we mixing the two? Second question is regarding the references to other books. Is there any reference to the Itihasas, specifically Ramayana and Mahabharata in Arthashastra, purely from a historical viewpoint? Right. Uh, yeah, on, on the first point, I, I agree with you because the challenge is how do you, uh, whether it's descriptive or prescriptive. Uh, in fact, there is a, um, um, uh, there is a, uh, a neaty, uh, there's, a, there's a process, I'm not getting the name to me, uh, not not Chanakiniti, but both for Ayurveda and Arthashastra, there's a kind of a tool uh, which is there, uh, which kind of helps you to extract this framework even more. I just heard about it last week from my one of my gurus. Uh, he was mentioning that to me. Uh, but yeah, one is a translation, 
another once you go through all these translations by various scholars uh, then you have certain areas where you want to focus on you try to focus uh, because and then what happens you you probably sit with a, a vedic pandit and then have go through each text uh, because even if you know basic sanskrit i mean i know sanskrit to some extent uh, the density of the verses is, is really uh, uh, for you to interpret it you probably need to get it from a scholar uh and then you 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 extrapolate and see which is whether it's descriptive or prescriptive in in some of the cases in some cases it is uh prescriptive in some cases it also describes events but on the mahabharata and ramayana from my from whatever that i've seen uh i don't think i've seen direct references yet it's more general uh from whatever i've seen but i might be wrong uh, i don't know so there was a preference for imports right. to exports has he elaborated on that cotillia like has he elaborated on which type of imports and a related question were there any mention of ba- uh, tariffs and barriers to trade let's say yeah in fact the what he mentions yeah so he mentions about imports of high value goods so gold and and, and mining related goods from external sources textile uh, whatever high value based goods uh, he probably preferred that and uh, yeah there are mention of tariffs uh, in fact there is a uh, uh, one of the taxes that i mentioned involves that as well so obviously i mean he he mentions it in a in a in a in a sanskrit connotation uh, but there is the concept that that concept is there uh, and uh, in terms of barriers of trade i mean the interpretation of barriers of trade was made because he wants to ensure that trade is very efficient he wants to ensure trade is there across the country that is he's very clear uh and he wants to remove all the constraints that you have so i think that is a, we can it's a fair assumption to make that you know that can be construed as barriers of trade so yeah so my question is uh, uh, so do you think that the present day indian welfare state or the socialist that state that is in existence is it in consonance with the cotillian model of uh, economy or do you think there need to be some major or minor modifications like advocating for free market right i don't want to get into a you know view on the state that's for them to deal with but uh, i think what uh, has uh, whether in terms of comparison uh, the welfare state in the sense if you look at the subsidies that we are doing today the essentially we we gain revenue from say taxes we mobilize revenue through taxes fundamentally uh, uh, and through other sources as well but in those days they used to mobilize revenue and then use it the king uses it for these measures but the difference there probably is i don't know whether doles were given like free rice and freebies and things like that uh, in fact i don't know whether uh kautilya would be in agreement with that because he seems to be from whatever i've read a fairly rigorous guy i mean he seems to be someone who is who's not go to you know he probably would keep a class within that itself you produce this much yield and that's when you know you can give me Uh, or i'll give you subsidy so he seems to be very very shrewd in in, in areas in in the text uh so the welfare system still existed but the mechanism of welfareism uh whether it was the same then or now might be different because purely because avenues have changed right then there was just agriculture in a few other states i mean you had a need for food but today you have a need for tv you have a need for you know all other resources so the 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 variance i mean the 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 output might vary but the process of the output might be similar yeah. so there's a a 
and then if you can, you know, try to look at extrapolation. I think that makes sense. Uh, can you draw any parallels with Machiavelli's uh, statecraft? Has that is much later. Right. So right. does he uh, take recourse to anything from that? Like the Fibonacci thing was actually taken from our system. So, does Machiavelli's uh, text have anything that you could actually link up with our uh, Arthashastra? Right. Uh, I am not too sure on that, but from the, some, for example, Kangley is one of the big translators. He feels that it's, it's uh, Machiavelli is completely different, Arthashastra is completely different. Uh, so, some commentators feel they are not really, they're very, the base is very different uh, on how they approach. Uh, because I think uh, all civilizations over a period of time will have some sort of organized structure. But the question really is, where do you use components? Like, for example, most of his uh, focus has been on honesty and governance and more kind of a dharmic worldview. Uh, whether, you know, Machiavelli had that, I'm not sure. But from whatever I've read, there seems to be quite a bit of differences between the both. Uh, uh, and only if I read through that will I be able to make the comparison. So, this Angus Madison study, so uh, can you tell me about what are the variables he has used for you know, comparing these economies across the world? Right. So, what Madison basically did is, that's quite a, uh, see, there was Paul Bayrock who wrote a report in the 70s who was Belgian-based economist. That's the popular theory many uh, folks would have uh, spoken. And then uh, they wanted to update it further. And then they went to Angus Madison. So, he spent many years, I think more than few decades to sit down and look at a lot of the data sets. So from what I am reading in, in, in all his essays, uh, he, he compartmentalizes at various stages. You know, till the 17th century where he has more data, more information, a lot more parameters are added uh, in terms of, you know, measuring GDP and things like that. Uh, time before he makes some assumptions on uh, economic activity and refers a lot of historical resources on what, uh, you know, constitutes that activity. Uh, so what would constitute a GDP, say, in, in zero, uh, beginning of common era, compared to, say, 1900s? There's a big difference. But he's maintained consistency in terms of the comparisons, I feel, where at every stage, all the countries that he compares and gives is very, very fair and more or less fair and consistent. So, there is no emphasis on how this data set evolved. Probably, uh, you know, we need to explore it more. Uh, but from whatever I've read, it seems to be consistent on uh, with historical records on what happened during these times. Uh, and, uh, and he is quite uh, clear on the fact that India and China were very prosperous during that early phase. I have another question. Uh, is there any notion of economic crises during that era? Probably due to famines. Yeah. So, exactly. and how were they dealt dealt with? Exactly. So that's another point. So, for example, if you looked at one of the quotes which I mentioned, uh, I mentioned about. I mean, there's a quote which talks about if the uh, you know nation is in crisis, then the king charges additional tax to certain people. Okay. For example, he might even do it to the wealthy people. I, that part I'm not sure, but he charges a certain amount for people who produce more. So that variation is there. You know, where in between during crisis, he wants to do something else. Uh, during when it's flourishing, he probably wants to redirect resources more. So that balance is, is there. Th that's one constant thing. 
uh, I think the one constant thing that you can see through the Atrashastra is most of the theories are, are fluid uh, depending on circumstances. So he probably has the vision to do that, yeah. not just static, exactly. uh, which I think that's why it's not a prescription completely. You know, a prescription is set in stone. Yeah. I don't think this is set in stone. I think this kind of articulates a, a particular process, a particular line of thinking uh, with variance uh, at multiple levels. It's depending on, um, you know, various factors. It could be king, who is ruling. It could be, uh, like you say, some famine or some other natural resource. Uh, but there are variants available and uh, he seems to articulate his thinking within the variant. But he has certain foundational principles. For example, there's a mention where he says king lineage is not necessarily applicable. So, for example, if the king's uh, son is incompetent, uh, Kautilya says, you know, he needs to go, to the, go through the competency test. If he's not able to do that, probably you find someone else. Uh, there is a mention that the king has to have all these qualities for him to be the king. And the king is not given, another thing is he's not given complete power. In the structure, there are certain uh, decisions which the king and his council have to take. And there's a certain kind of a percentage that you, that the king has. So he does not have unitary power on many, on, 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 you know, some things. Obviously, some things the king has power, but it's not like, uh, you know, complete slavery where you just listen to the king all the time. Because he's kind of created the system. Because if that was the case, he wouldn't talk about lack of monarchy extension. Uh, he would talk, he talks about why the king needs to be educated in, in all aspects. So he needs to go through an entire training process, apparently, before or when he becomes king or whoever is coming in next has to uh, go through the process. So again, there seems to be thought here. It's not a kind of a psychophantic behavior. It seems to be something where there is a, an ecosystem and a thought process is, is brought in, which I think is important to know. Firstly, is there any uh, difference between the Indic uh, location in the chronological time and the Western one? The second, is there is there a uh, debate on that? Secondly, that is the Western and the Indic. Secondly, isn't it relevant to a context? The You have a context. Everything has a context. Nothing is absolute. So, isn't the chronology very important because it is located in a particular context? And, uh, and the relation to others in terms of scriptures, time, civilizations, and whatever. So, isn't it uh, actually very important? I agree. On, on the first point, which Indic chronology are talking about? No, Within Indic itself, there is... No. So, on that, uh, I think there, there are differences, there are, you know, various propositions which, you know, I leave it to the scholars to, to, to eventually come up with something which is relevant. But on your second question, I think you're right. Without the context, without the, uh, you know, the, the environment around, it's very difficult for you to make robust, relatively scientific interpretations. So that context is important. But on the other hand, there are certain things like, you know, just, the, just his thought process. You know, his ability to, you know, uh, his ability to not concentrate power too much in one individual, for example. That's a thought process. You don't need a time frame for that. So, if you look at it at a conceptual level, I think the time frame is, is not really relevant because uh, uh, we just see how conceptually he's dealing with issues. But 
if you want to see how successful those concepts were, then you need a base, some sort of metric measurement to equate the success, either economic prosperity or whatever. Uh, and that involves the context. Uh, so it's a yes and no to your question where context is relevant in some cases. In some cases, without context itself, we can make uh, interpretations of his line of thinking in, in general. Does Kautilya ever mention slave trade, which was there in most ancient societies? Uh, that's right. I mean, he, he mentions about it. I mean, there is... Uh, he mentions about the, the social structures that we have. Uh, and uh, uh, But I don't know whether he explicitly mentions about uh, the, the, the impact of that. Uh, perhaps if I read more and if I'm able to make some sense out of that. Uh, but the social structures in terms of the caste system and things like that existed then. Uh, but he believed that, uh, that again, I think he is fluid. In the sense, he doesn't believe that, say, for example, in a war, that you need to have only the Kshatriyas fighting. He sees some role for the others as well. And he, I think, spins it according to the, you know, uh, the, the situation uh, and the context. Uh, and it's similar again towards the uh, idea of something like a minimum wage. He is flexible on that. Uh, but yeah.